Welcome to the Boardroom Podcast, presented by the Political Action Committee, People for a Better DeSoto County, with your hosts, Chad and Ben. We hope to give you an informative look into local government by having a healthy discussion about city issues, interview a few friends, and have a little fun. Welcome into another episode of the Boardroom Podcast, uh, coming from Shelby Road Production Studios here in the downtown Ward Four of Hernando, Mississippi. Uh, I am Alderman uh, Ward Four Chad Wicker, and I'm Alderman Ward Six Ben Piper. <laughs> we got a special, we yeah, got a my special, special guest, guest host. host is. He's he's sitting <laughs> in my lap here recording. He's dying to be on the show, so if you hear some. Uh, some squeaky talking. That's going to be Mr. Grayson here. So Ben, let's uh, let's start talking about uh, about our guests. Who, who are we going to have on the show today? We have both Republican candidates for district attorney, uh, District Twenty Three. That's right, right, Michael Jordan's district. That's right. Uh, uh, Bob Morris and Matthew Barton will be joining us later on for uh, Q and A, which each one of them talking about you know why you should cast their name on your ballot in this upcoming Republican primary in August. Uh, so we'll have them on a little bit later. But first, we're going to recap our board meeting, uh, the Board of Aldermen meeting. Uh, from this past Tuesday. Yeah, last one in June. We met, uh, was that June 20th, 19th, 20th, 20th? And uh, one of the things that we kind of kicked the meeting off with was just thanking our public works people. Absolutely. Um, police, fire, for just the uh, the unbelievable uh, response that they had, the overtime hours that were worked, um, and the response to um, the storm that blew through on Father's Micro Day morning. Microburst is what we're calling Microburst, right? yeah, yep. So, uh, um, just some very high winds, uh, you know, over 60 miles an hour. You had trees, telephone poles snapping. There's businesses without power. Uh, Commerce Street was completely blocked off Father's Day morning. I drove around and, uh, and and met with some folks that were in that area. And Northern um, Street was hit pretty hard. People there on Northern Street. Yeah, it was, it was really a um, – it, it was really definitely, I think – Almost anybody that was yeah. uh, in the Hernando area was probably woken up by the storm, you know, at yeah. 5, 530 in the morning. Uh, and we are certainly thinking about those families as they're continuing to uh, have to have repairs made. Um, there was a lot. Of, I'll tell you, folks, I don't know. I know that it, it's hard to tell now because a lot of the debris has been cleared away. But we were uh, the city and, and the people um, who had trees fall uh, near their homes. It could have been much, much worse. The damage could have been uh, really, really um you know, we were, we were very fortunate to not have any injuries associated with it. Yeah, no loss of life, Ben. No that's, loss that's, of that, life. That's the greatest thing. Uh, a lot of the property can be repaired. Thankfully, we did lose a lot of older trees, unfortunately. But some of these older trees, there were if they had fallen, you know, a, a different way, it, the outcome could have been very different. So, you know, we were certainly, uh, you know, the good Lord was watching after a bunch of people that morning. Uh, no doubt about well, that. I think the greatness of our community <clears throat> showed. Yeah, a lot of people coming out to help volunteer. Uh, the city employees did a tremendous job of, you know, they were there that morning. Cutting trees down, taking care of business, uh, and it just shows the the great community we live in, Ben. And there's still more cleanup to to be done. And I know there's some some churches and some organizations here in town that are that are uh, still working to help clean up uh, the area. And we certainly appreciate everybody pitching in. You know, that's what being in a small town is all about. And I understand that there is a uh, a nonprofit. What you call it, five hundred one three C that was formed at mm-hmm. uh, Northwest uh, Community Foundation. If anybody wants to donate, I think AWG. I was told donated I think five thousand dollars to that to help mm-hmm. pay for the victims. Oh, excuse 10, me, ten thousand dollars. Our had a, a producer come in and correct us here. So ten thousand. That's what he's here for. Yeah, That's he's what cracking he's the whip on us. What do you think about that, Grayson? <laughs> huh? You got to say something. 
You can't shrug your shoulders. Nobody can hear that, man. <laughs> he's got his look. He looks famous. He's hey. got his glasses on. He's he's got his sunglasses on. He, he's he a, he's a little underwhelmed. He thought this was going to be a uh, you know there's going to be like fans asking for autographs when we came up here and you know we're in a closet up here at the Cafe Row building. You know we're still we're still trying to get some sponsorships. So. Yeah, we're still working towards that. So we appreciate everybody you know pitching in. We appreciate all the hard work uh, from the from the storm recovery, and we hope that everybody out there is listening and, and just know that we're, we're thinking about you in any way we can help out. You know, Chad and I are here, uh, reach yeah, out to us. We're absolutely. more than happy to help out. Any way I, we can. I know Andrew Miller was out there that the mayor was out there, um, all day, I think Monday helping. Uh, I think that a lot of the area that had some significant damage was in Andrew's ward there. Um, kind of behind, the. I call it the Fred's, what Commerce Street Market building mm-hmm. there now, the flooring building. Uh, that area there um, was was hit pretty tough. So, and I mentioned this on my uh, my personal Facebook. Uh, but if you are if you're thinking about hey, I'm gonna Absolutely. I'm gonna go out yeah, to go out to lunch, go out to dinner, what do it at a local restaurant here. You know, I, uh, go go uh, whether it's. Mexican grabbing a sandwich yeah, from Don Chibo, uh, yeah. getting coffee or coffee whatever. Coffee Central. They they were out. They were without power for several days and lost business. So, yep. you know, go out there and support those guys. They're great people. They, they those are the people that give to the you know the baseball fields and different things. They they're always donating to the high school for different things and middle school. So when you um, only have. 25 or 26 business days of a month that's right and a storm knocks you out for three or four days it can be really really tough to you know make make your numbers all work and all that sort of thing so yeah. think about those folks for sure i, when I think i saw out. on facebook josh at bonzebo had, had put his stuff into a, a, a chiller truck or whatever because he didn't have power he's starting to lose so uh, support those businesses they have great food there too so yeah absolutely absolutely all right so uh, moving on uh in our meeting there, we had our audit that was yes, presented by the uh, by the Gerald Group. Yeah, this is the 2021 uh, fiscal year. So that runs from September 2020 uh, or October 2020 uh, through September 2021, which is when this current board uh, took office in July of 2021. So this is the first but kind of audit of our our kind of our first budget. So what we inherited and then what we've done. And there was a lot of positive, I thought. I think that the gentleman uh, mentioned uh, that we have paid down some of our debt. He did also bring up the, the fact, I remember, Ben, about about the unfunded liability for the retirement system is accounted different now, basically. So mm-hmm. that's something we got to keep an eye on because that's going to be increasing over the next couple of years. Yeah, I think there was around $2 million of debt that was paid down yes. in that fisc- fiscal year 21. So that was, a, that was a big deal. But another thing that we get as aldermen when we look through this, and it's you know, it's dozens of pages. Yeah, uh, I think of, it was seventy something pages yeah, of, of document. document there through, through this audit. One of the things that we that we're able to do from a financial planning standpoint is we're able to see in fiscal year 2022, 23, so on and so forth, uh, how much debt is going to be paid down if we continue, you know, continue making payments as we're making them. Uh, so what that allows the alderman to do is say what how much cash is going to be freed up uh, to go towards something else or what. What, what you can potentially do and plan for. So it's a very important document, but we do have that uh, accepted and approved now. So if anybody wants to see, uh, you know, copies of that audit, they can. I, yeah, I believe, and I believe the mayor said they were going to put that online with some of the other ones. And, and essentially, we have we have two funds in, in our in our we have a general fund or, or, or uh, you know, and then a proprietary fund, which is the you know you pay your water bill, it goes into a, a fund there to you know pay for the water expenses out of that that fund. So that's basically what we have, and everything's good to go. No no negative issues i don't think he, he talked about there so everything is uh, good to go for another year and, and that one of the reasons we have to do that every year is because we do accept federal funding for different things and they require that we have a an, you know an audit done so and moving on we the other thing we talked about is food trucks people i'll tell you what I, what about those food, food trucks, trucks it's a truck that has food in it that you can buy um, you gotta have a bathroom in that thing or something I, you don't have to have a bathroom but there is 
basically there's some tweaks going on, some changes to a food truck ordinance to basically regulate how food trucks can operate um, in the city limits here. Uh, so one of the things that, uh, that was brought up is that you have to have a conditional use uh, approved by our planning commission. So right. what that means is if you have a, uh, you know, a hot dog truck or something like that, you want Tom's to set taco up, truck, Tom's taco truck, right? You want to set up at one of the gas stations, you like tacos? there would have to be a conditional use approved by the planning commission. Grayson, what's your favorite thing to eat, buddy? What's your favorite number pizza. one food? Pizza. pizza. What kind of pizza? Domino's Pizza. Domino's, Domino's Pizza. Oh, boy. Okay, so let's say Domino's wants to have their own food truck. That's right. They would need to have a conditional use on whatever property they're going to be at. Additionally, the other thing we created was a mobile food truck park or right. a food truck park. So if you had a commercial property, you could have you know up to 10 food trucks on that property at one time um, at one time but you would need to have you know a bathroom plan a parking plan you know some of those all those things would have to be submitted to the city to be approved this may be something we do at renaissance park at some point maybe potentially yeah i think there's there's definitely some folks that are interested in you know the food truck world and also just you know th there's small business owners that see it as a way to expand and go to where the customers are yeah. um so so current restaurants uh you know could be expanding their business in that way to say listen sure. you know you got something going on at a park something like that you're able to you know kind of flex uh your uh mobility and get out there to where the people are we, we have a guy that works at the sheriff's department with steven rogers he has a, a food truck called dough burgers and uh, mm -hmm. he, he's very active in that food truck scene so well, the biggest thing is it's, I think it's going to open up another revenue stream for, uh, for, for well, those people. And, and, and that's also something the, I don't think we mentioned that those people are going to be required to have a business license and pay sales tax into the city coffer. So. Correct. In the past, what would happen is sales tax would go back to wherever those food trucks were headquartered. Absolutely. So if they, yeah. if they, uh, the food truck had a, you know, was headquartered in South Haven, yeah. Even though they were doing business in Hernando, that sales tax was going back to South Haven. So we kind of closed that loophole, which is extremely important. Um, and I think that, you know, it also protects our business community here. Yeah. Um, the restaurants that are here currently, they're playing by the same rules, and that was the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and I think that was, uh, you know, an issue when we first started talking about food trucks. The, the brick-and-mortar people were concerned about affecting their their business. And I think we, you know, Austin, uh, uh, the planning director, came up with a great, I thought, a great ordinance that, that kind of, I think, protects them and, and requires them to, to play by the same rules as you said there so hadn't heard really any anybody uh, upset with the with the food truck deal so we'll mm -hmm. see how that goes and um, I think it'll be official in 30 days I think we agreed to, mm -hmm. to put it into the newspaper so in 30 days you'll be able to come down to City Hall and, and get a, uh, a business permit for a food truck if you'd like and, and do you want to talk about the subdivisions I think they can have them so many times yeah, a so year if, as well. if you've got a uh, you know certainly if you're let's say your, your kid Grayson's got a birthday party I'm When's sure birthday, some point coming up October 5th. October 5th. So let's say we got a pizza food truck that we find for, for Grayson here. He wants to have a pizza food truck at his birthday party. Domino's Chad, you got to be ready. Yeah, we got to be ready for that. If you're having, you know, a private event, something like that, it's basically seen the same way a caterer is seen. So yeah. you can you can hire a food truck for your home or anything like that. But if you have a homeowners association, uh, your homeowners association could have a food truck out 12 times a year. Yeah. Uh, so it allows you, you know, once a month or, you know, more often, I guess, if uh, if you want to compile them just in the spring and summer or something like that, uh, but you're able to bring those out, uh, you know, for private events, there's a accommodation for that as well. Great. Uh, what do you want to talk about next, Mr. Piper? We've also got uh, an update to our, you know, everybody. When you think about Alderman, everybody always thinks of roads, potholes, that sort of thing. So one of the biggest projects that we have going on in I finally neighborhood got roads, done for Notting Hill. Oh, over there. come on, Chad! Don't give me that. <laughs> He couldn't. He might could tell you one road in the whole neighborhood. All right, so Notting Hill uh, subdivision, the 
the portion of it that connects to Middle Buster Road, uh, Notting Hill Drive Southwest, Banbury Lane, Notting Hill Cove East and West, uh, and Banbury West. Those those roads will all be paved. A two hundred and fifty thousand dollar paving project. Uh, we got the bids in for that, and that was the lowest and best quote from uh, American Services. So those folks will be hopefully out soon once they can get the asphalt mixed and, and I, out there. Yeah, and I think you. Yeah, I think you asked Mr. Mr. Uh, Lauderdale how long it would take. He said probably about a week to get all the all the they got to do the milling and everything correctly. So, and you want to think about that. Anybody that lives in that in that neighborhood. They're milling the entire road down, so you'll be down to pretty much, not the road bed, but it's going to be pretty rough through there uh, for about a week. So you may want to try to go through the front entrance um, of the neighborhood when all that paving is going on um, or try to figure out a way to sort of get around it. But those guys should have that work done within, within about a week's time once they get started. So you're saying it's going to be done starting tomorrow? No, 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 not saying that. I'm saying Isn't that, that what once said, they Grayson? get— Isn't that what he said, Grayson? Tell him. Isn't that what he said? <laughs> what? He said he's going to have the road paved tomorrow. Is that now? Come on. And that way you say, Grayson, say yeah. Say yeah. yeah. You better say yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Once they get started, it'll take them about a week to get done. I don't know when they'll get started exactly, but hopefully they're able to get started sooner than later, have that thing done. So we are deep into the paving list now. I don't think we have much left on it. I um, think this was, uh, I meant to, to, to bring that up. This is, I think, the last big project. There's some there's mm-hmm. some smaller ones that I think uh, that need to be done. I know they're still uh, in my, my area there. They're going to do uh, Banks Cove. Um, which is mm-hmm. south of Parkway uh, on Terra Drive there. Uh, I know that one hadn't done yet, and I think there's some smaller ones, but most of the bigger ones, we, we got Vaden done. We've got Notting Hill done now. Just those two, but just, just Vaden and Notting Hill was approximately $750,000, just between Absolutely, those two, yeah. just almost 800000 once it was all said yeah, and done. Yeah, I, I so. don't have it in front of me. Well, we budget about how much? One point, it was $1.9 million. $1.9 million, um, and then, you know, that's not including, I think, the $2 million for the for – the, um, Mackinville, we're going to yeah, try to come the, back and see. In front of the new high school there. So the timing on that is left to be seen. We don't know uh, when the Mackinville in front of the high school will be paved just yet. Anybody driving up in that area, there's a lot of orange cones up there because the road's really torn up. Certainly you want to slow down when you're in that area. Are they and, building uh, be something careful. up there? Yeah, new high school. You heard is that where it's going? That's new high school. You 80, know they're new high school. You're going to go there. $85 million high school they new got high for school. you. We got a, high school. <laughs> yeah, we just in kindergarten. Come on, Mr. Chad. We got, huh? we got a few more years before he gets up there. That's He'll right. be ready. You start in kindergarten next year? Who's your teacher going to be? You don't know yet, do you? Oh, oh, who? Harris. You better say it. She's listening. Miss Harris. All right, Miss Harris, be ready. He's coming for you. He's going to wear his sunglasses. So, so Grayson and Ramsey, same age, right? That's right. That's right. That's our, that's our youngest. Hey, we may, we may just got to get a little political dynasty going together here. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know if that's what people want. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, speaking of political, well, it's not a political dynasty, but speaking of politics, we have got Bob Morris and Matthew yeah. Barton, the two Republican candidates for district attorney Absolutely. here in District 23, coming in uh, for our Q&A. They're our guest interviewees of the week. Yeah, I think we got Bob coming up first and Matthew, and that was just kind of a... That was how the schedule fell. Yeah, we we right, said, who so. can come win? And they came on. And they uh, they both were no holds barred and didn't, didn't want to hold anything back. And we uh, really appreciate them coming on the show. And, and uh, I, th- I think you're going to enjoy the interview. Yeah, I think so. So let's bring them on now. And these are our, our guest speakers for the week, Bob Morris and Matthew Barton. Say bye. Bye. <laughs> And now we're sitting with Bob Morris, Republican candidate for district attorney. And he uh, is one of two candidates. We're, we're talking with both of them today. Bob, welcome in. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And you are the so incumbent uh, district attorney. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, how that came to be. Well, 
we were talking a little bit before we got started. Originally, this district was part of a, a very wide district of Tate, Panola, DeSoto County, Tallahatchie, and Yalabusha. And about a year ago, due to the population change, there was a push to create DeSoto County as a separate district. So the legislature passed that, and it took effect in January of this year, where uh, on January 1, the, the county became its own district and required its own district attorney. And so after John Champion passed, I met with the governor, and Governor Reeves asked if I would take up the spot in DeSoto County and run the district attorney's office. All right, governor appointed uh, district attorney. Uh, it's kind of unique because we the previous district attorney had passed away, and so it became a vacant seat, which was kind of weird because John Champion was going to have to decide which one he was going to run for. I think he was going to run for, or I guess, move here or run for this area, I it believe. Was, yes, it was very unusual because the district – because they changed it while it was in the middle of a term. John had the option and was grandfathered in at either location should he decide. Right. I honestly don't know what his decision was because yeah. he fell ill. And, yeah, and that's I, right. as you all know, he suffered for two years from a brain tumor. So we don't know what he was going to do. But sure. when he passed, they gave me the, op- the same option and I chose to come here. So prior to that, tell us more about your background. Tell the voters about your background uh, before your appointment as district attorney. Well, I was born and raised in Senatobia, and my family's from Senatobia, pretty much going back about four generations. And then uh, I went to Magnolia Heights, graduated there, and then worked my way into college. I went to the University of the South, which is Swanee, Tennessee. Played football there a couple of years and then went to law school at Ole Miss. Uh, when I got out at Ole Miss, we were looking for jobs, and I found a job with Smith Phillips, which has offices here on the square and also in Batesville. I uh, worked there for about 19 years on and off for doing pretty much just what I would call a general practice. Uh, the interesting part about that was, though, I was also able to become the municipal prosecutor. And of all the things that I did while I was working you that enjoy practice, that. that's the one thing that I – that you know, when you're in private practice, there's a lot of gray area. But when you're prosecuting, it's uh, – a lot simpler to know who's right and who's wrong. That's so right, yeah. I enjoyed that a lot more. And so after about 19 years of that, I'd had enough, and John Champion had an opening. Somebody had retired. So he contacted me, and I had a lot of trial experience, which is fairly rare uh, occurrences because you don't try as many cases as you used to. But because of my trial experience, he called and asked me if I'd be interested. Took the job, and I never looked back. Now, so what was your motive? Obviously, you wanted to be district attorney because you, you talked with Governor Reeves and, and, and all that. But what was your motivation in wanting to take that step and wanting to take that leap into this position and, again, running and running for election this time? Well, let me say it this way. I, I didn't envision being the district attorney. I envisioned John Champion probably making a decision and then we'd have to see what happened. But when John passed away, it left a vacancy and it left a big hole in our office. John was an experienced attorney, and I was concerned about the future of the office and the people in there. I've grown to love everybody in there, and you didn't want to upset the apple cart and have a situation where you lose good people because of the process. So I did decide to apply. Now, why do I run and run again? Is because I've for the main reason I enjoy being a municipal prosecutor. I'm passionate about it. If you've ever hear, heard me talk in court or in you know in the public, I care very deeply about the people of the county, and I care deeply about victims. So that's one of my pet peeves is that it seems that we turn, have the cart turned around and the horse is leading the cart the wrong direction because we talk about criminals and the rights of criminals, and so many times the victims and their families get trampled 
and they don't have anybody to speak for them. So I, I'm very passionate about what we do, and I'm proud of what we do. I moved my entire family up here, and so we are committed. All right, so you're, let's say you are uh, fortunate enough to have the honor of being elected uh, to this position. In, in your first six months, is there any kind of changes, anything that you'd like to see uh, you know, done differently, uh, knowing that you have a full, a full term to work with? Well, actually, honestly, the things that I've wanted to do, I've already started because I was appointed in September last year. The main thing that I saw, there were two really big problems that I saw as I was going through the process of watching John suffer. And that's first, a lot of people don't know what the district attorney does. That's that's true. So we needed to raise the awareness of the community to know what the DA does and what they don't do. And the second thing was I realized that the county had not had a new prosecutor because a lot of people don't know this either. I can't just go out and hire people. That's right. The state has to fund me and give me the ability to hire. And I got to looking at the payroll and realized we hadn't hired a new prosecutor in DeSoto County since 2005. And that's a ridiculous amount of time when a county that is the fastest growing county in the state, and I think the population grew either by 50 or 60,000 people in that time period from 2005 until now. So our first objective was to grow the office and get the right number of prosecutors here. Hines County had 13, Harrison County had 11, and do you know how many we had? We had four state-funded in one county, mm. and we're the same population yeah. as those three counties. So we began fighting immediately, and fortunately, we were able to get legislation passed. We just started the advertising process this week where we're going to be able to hire three new prosecutors, and we were able to hire two new investigators. So we brought Monday Quinn in to help he us. You stole him from the sheriff's yeah, department. Yeah, stole him from the sheriff's department. That was a, that was, I'm proud of that hire. Yeah, he, he, he's a good guy. He'll do well over there. And then we're going to have another young lady come in that's going to be a courtroom IT tech person that's okay. going to help us with the courtroom presentation. So we needed to grow the office. We needed to raise the profile of the district attorney's office to show the people the good work we're doing. And then we had to move the technology into the 21st century. I think that's another situation where uh, the people in Jackson just think this DeSoto County can print money and they can, they can provide for their own district attorneys, and we get left out a lot. I'm aware, uh, Bob, I mean, how many kind of cases do y'all run through in a year? I mean, your office is probably one of the busiest ones in the state. Last year, we indicted 1,456 individual cases. That's not counts. That's people. So we, we indicted right around 1,500 people. This year, we're on pace to probably indict 2,000 people. Uh, because we're in a county of almost 220,000 people, yeah. depending on what the census you look at. Right. And we average 130 to 160 indictments uh, a month. Most counties, like, for instance, uh, Tate County, they their grand jury meets every two months, every three months. Uh, our grand jury meets every month from 9 o'clock until 5 o'clock. So a, lot of, a funny story, a lot of times we'll get calls from maybe a county in the Delta or in Smith County or something, and their grand juries may meet – Twice a year, four times a year. And when I tell them our guys meet, you know, every year, they think that's just unbelievable. So, and, yeah. and I'll be honest with you, with the population growth and with the uh, – and people think that that's a crime problem. It's not necessarily a crime problem. It's an aggressive policing problem. We have good law enforcement. Absolutely. And they catch people. And if they catch them, we're going to indict them. So at some point, we may actually go to twice a month. Uh, we could probably have a day of indictments just for South Haven. Right. And, and Bob, our, part of our show is kind of to educate people, on, and maybe some people might understand what an indictment is. Can yeah. you kind of explain what that is? Absolutely. The way this works is the district attorney is the chief prosecuting agent in, in the county. I only handle cases that involve felonies, a felony being anything that you could serve a year or more in prison on. 
If the police arrest someone, the first step in that is to determine whether or not there was probable cause that a crime was committed. In other words, is it more likely than not? Think of the, the scales right. of justice. If they tip to 50 point whatever, whatever percent, 51 percent. So the purpose of the grand jury is to review those cases because the grand jury is the most important fact-finding body in the county. So 15 of those jurors believe that there is a crime that was committed or probable cause, then they will return what's called an indictment, right. meaning that that person is now officially charged with a felony crime. And that begins the process. And this is, you know, for murder all the way down to drug possession, things like that. I would say the range would be from mal- felony, malicious mischief, yeah. and shoplifting right. all the way up to capital murder. Yeah, this is not parking tickets and stuff no, like that. No, we do not. And for the record, I do not <laughs> handle the Mississippi Highway Patrol or anything to do with their tickets. <laughs> you sure? I promise you. <laughs> you, must, you must have heard that on campaign trail, sounds I mean, like. It's, it's been going on a while, I can assure you. Okay. So we've got a uh, the Republican primary coming up in August. Voters will be going in the booth. They're, it's time to bubble in a name for yourself or your opponent. What is the most important thing you want voters to know about you as a candidate? It's experience. I mean, that's the one distinguishing factor between myself and my opponent, meaning no disrespect. It's just experience. I've been, I'm 51 years old and I've been prosecuting criminals my entire life. I've never been a criminal defense attorney. I don't represent criminals. I've never once in my life gone to court to represent one. My entire career has been spent protecting the citizens and the public. And so what they need to know is that I have prosecuted over 2,000 cases in DeSoto County alone. And I think I have nine murder convictions, 52 sex offenders convicted. This is just my record, not our office. And so I'm I'm dedicated to making sure that we're going to protect the citizens of the county, but not just protect them, but to make sure that we've raised the awareness of the community and the surrounding areas to let them know that we want to have a deterrent effect by these sentences. The governor and I talked, and one of the things that he gave me was a mandate to go after folks as hard as I could go. And within three months of being appointed by the governor, we were able to get Martez Abram convicted. That was the Walmart shooter. And we were able to get a death penalty conviction. And that was serious business because that was the first death penalty conviction in DeSoto County in 20 years. So that's what people need to know. They need to know that they have experience behind the wheel when I'm the district attorney and that we're going to be tough on crime. We're not going to be soft. We're not going to have catch and release bonds. We're not going to have all this cashless bond stuff that you're seeing in Memphis. We have to send a message that we're going to work hand in hand with law enforcement to make sure that people will know that if you come to this county and you commit a crime, you'll be investigated, you'll be prosecuted. And if you are convicted, I will ask for a maximum sentence. Bob, just to get into a little politics, I mean, there's been some critiques of you as just you just moved here recently or you maybe at one point voted in a, a Democratic primary or whatever. Do you want to kind of address some of those critiques? Absolutely. I, I grew up in Tate County and Panola County, and my mother was one of the first people to actually restart the Republican Party in 1980 in Tate County. And we almost got run out of town on a rail, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I think everybody yeah, was in 1980. Yeah. And the problem was, look, there was just times in the past where you, if you didn't vote for the Democrat ticket, you didn't vote for sheriff, you didn't vote for the alderman, you didn't vote for tax assessor. And there were also times where I voted against people because it's, I, I assure you, when I was going to vote, I wasn't thinking about running for DA or running for judge. I was trying to vote either for who I thought was qualified or against who I thought we could beat. So that's the way that is. 
If you want to judge me on whether or not I'm a Democrat or a liberal, just go look at my record. I'll stand behind it and I'll put it up against anybody in the United States that I am one of the hardest working prosecutors and one of the most conservative prosecutors you'll meet. And I'll tell you this, the only guns I'm going to take are from the hands of the criminals that are committing crimes in this county. All right. Strong words. One other other thing, though, one other thing about moving here. I've lived in this district my entire life. Sure. And when I say district, I mean DeSoto, Tate, Panola. I grew up in Sinatobia, which I considered basically South Hernando. Yes. I played ball here, dove hunted here. I have a lot of community contacts and friends and relationships here. So to say that I moved here as some kind of carpetbacker uh, to take the office is just not genuine. The district split. If it hadn't split, I could have still run from wherever I was. But you know what I did do? I sold everything within two weeks of being appointed and threw my whole life into turmoil because I was dedicated to coming to this county to help it. Let's end on a good note. Let's talk about we were before we started here, we were talking about kind of you like to play a little music in, on your on your free time. You got a little band? I do. I have a band called The Litigants. Okay. And I would like to say that I am looking forward to winning this election <laughs> so that I can go back and play music and not have to worry about this kind yeah, of stuff for a little while That's on right. my weekends. Um, ben, you got anything else? That's that's it for I think that's it for well, uh, Mr. Morris here. Mr. Morris, anything you want to end in. with? I just want to tell y'all thank you. I think what you're doing is important. I think the community needs to know about what folks do, and if people want to learn more about the district attorney's office, we have a Facebook page. Please go there. Right now, we're actually doing a spotlight on each of our individual staff members to try to give them some credit for the work they do. Please go and share that because we will give news updates there, and we will update the community on any serious cases that are occurring. And I will say, you know, I work I work for the sheriff's department and the jail, and, and we always have a great work, work relationship with when John was was there and uh, with you and, and Luke and everybody that was there, um, Angie. And so we, we really appreciate that. Well, thank you. I'm honored to serve, and I'm honored to give back to the community. Yes, sir. All right. That was incumbent Republican candidate for district attorney, uh, Bob Morris. 23rd district now. We got it. We're on 23rd. 23rd. We got the Michael Jordan number. That's right. Now, so. hey, I didn't ever think about that. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Absolutely. Number 23 on the, on the, on the staff, but number one in your heart. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> well, thank you, Bob. Well, uh, we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, man. And now we have Republican candidate for District Attorney Matthew Barton joined us here on the Boardroom Podcast. Uh, Matthew, welcome in. I guess we got Matthew, Mr. Barton. I have to call you Mr. Barton. You call him Matthew, please. Yeah, there you <laughs> we're, go. We're all friends here. Yeah, That's it's, right. it's, it's meant to be casual and that kind of thing. Well, uh, so let's start out. Tell us uh, about your background. Tell the voters about your background and kind of what led you to uh, to this this moment here. Okay, so. I'm originally from South Mississippi, and when I was in law school, my wife was working for the DeSoto County Schools. So we got out of school and said, well, we can go anywhere in the world we want to go. Where do we want to go? And we said, hey, this is pretty nice right here. Let's just stick around. So we did. Uh, We have a four-year-old daughter. Hernando is her hometown. I've been practicing law here for the last eight years. Uh, In that time, I've appeared in over 40 courts across the state, anywhere from South Haven all the way down to Gulfport seeing what works and what doesn't work and trying to bring that experience and bring the best of what I've seen all over to DeSoto County's district attorney office. And which law firm do you practice out of? So I have my own firm here in Hernando. It's the Little and Barton law firm. My partner, Stan Little. Uh, I had a law firm uh, before that that was just me. And then Stan and I merged, I guess, in early 2019. Yeah, I do, I guess, a general practitioner, I guess, or... No, we're actually pretty specific. We just do criminal work. Okay, okay. And so uh, 
I would rather starve to death than deal with the divorce or custody situation. (laughs) It's a little rough for me. Those get heated, don't they? I don't have the personality for it. Now, I've I've always been geared towards, I guess, the criminal part of the law. That's what's always been fascinating to me. Now, what was your, as you were thinking about, you know, I'm going to throw my name in the hat and run for district attorney. What was your motivation in deciding to run for district attorney? That's a fantastic question. And I think that's a, a question we have to ask everybody that runs for anything. Why are you doing this? Sure. And you always get the canned answer of public service and, and kind of what voters want to hear. But there's always a selfish reason when someone wants to run for office. And we have to figure that out. So I'm going to tell you my selfish reason first. And then we can kind of go into how that's kind of evolved. So when I was in law school, John Champion, our previous district attorney, gave me a great opportunity to work in the office uh, during that last year I was in school. And first day I walked in there, they gave me a big stack of files and they said, get at it. I said, what do I do? They said, everything. (laughs) I was like, okay, I guess we'll figure this out. So I did. I did everything from discovery to grand jury preparation. They even let me try jury trials. It was a fantastic experience. And I knew then this is it. You know, I want to be a district attorney. And I want to do it here. Uh, I knew it's just something I, I wanted to do. You know, we had the same DA for 21, 22 years. So the way it goes, I figured this could be something I do late in my career. It could be something I do early. But when I get the chance, I want to do it. I've always liked the trial element of practicing law, being on your feet, moving around. I didn't really want to push paper, be in the office too much. So that experience in the DA's office made me just want the job. You know, nobody put me up to it. Nobody said, hey, we, we want you to be the guy that runs. It's just something I want to do for me. Uh, it, it's a job I enjoy. And during my practice, I have represented the city of South Haven and the city of Horn Lake as a prosecutor. And I, I've done that for several years. I've served as a special prosecutor here in DeSoto County. And I just selfishly enjoy it. You know, and so I want to do it. I, I like being part of law enforcement. I like the camaraderie that goes along with being on a team. Reminds me a lot of when, you know, I was playing sports growing up. I played soccer all the way through college. And so selfishly, it's just something I want to do. And then, you know, fast forward a few years later, I had our daughter, Eleanor, and my wife and I. You know, when that happens, everything changes, right? Sure, and sure. you become a dad and start paying attention to things you didn't pay attention to before and start becoming more concerned about the community. And so I think my motivation certainly evolved over time because now I, everything I do is, well, how is this going to be perceived by my kid? One day she's <laughs> going to see what I'm doing, what she's going to think about it. And so I want to be able to show her there's another aspect to what I do as a lawyer besides just going to work, owning a business and making money. I do want to Make sure that her hometown is a place that she can always be proud to call home. She may not always want to stay here, but I hope it's a place that's worth staying because I plan on staying here. So I I hope she does if we can protect this community and and make it a place that stays as charming as it is now. So a lot of times uh, this is a this is something that. You know, the media will do, they'll, they'll say, like, look, you got to make some changes. You get elected, you're the new person uh, that's, that's running an office. So uh, in your first six months or in the first early months, you know, what changes, if any, would you make to the district attorney's office going forward? I think we need to make a lot of changes. And I think that's a great this, – this election is a fantastic sure. opportunity for our county to, to make some improvements in the DA's office. 
And I think one of the first things we have to do is modernize that office the way it operates. We need to modernize the technology. We need to improve the technology and so that things are more streamlined and efficient. The county is growing a lot quicker than the budget is growing. And that means we have to make certain changes and adjustments to improve our efficiency. So one way I'll do that is to create a uniform way of maintaining a file. Right now, whenever a file comes in, each assistant prosecutor will maintain their file a little bit differently based on kind of the way they like to do it. So then we go to court on plea days or sentencing days where really 85 or 90% of these things are pretty much agreed upon ahead of time. We'll have one judge listening to all five assistants and, and we got some more coming. But as one prosecutor presents the agreement, so to speak, all the other prosecutors are generally watching. I mean, there's some negotiating that goes on, some last second adjustments and, and things like that. But by and large, we, we have people sitting on their hands waiting for their turn. If we had a uniform way of keeping a file where you could access everything on your iPad instead of a paper file, then we could have one or two people in court doing what four or five people used to do. Everyone else can be back in the office meeting with victims, meeting with law enforcement, building up their case, doing what they got to do to be in the office and get things done. Another thing I want to do is convert one of our investigator roles into kind of a dual function. Uh, I want to hire an investigator that actually has a law degree. Our office has been trying to add prosecutors for a very long time. Our delegation in Jackson has worked hard to try to bring more resources to DeSoto County. And recently, uh, I think probably because it's an election year, uh, we were able to get some of those things that we wanted. But we didn't get even half of what we were asking for. We got enough to keep us happy for a year, and, and that's really it. One of the things we got was uh, an extra investigator role. And so I think the budget for that could go towards someone that has a law degree. And that way, when we need an extra prosecutor, we need more hands on deck, we have someone that can jump in and perform that role. Uh, another thing I want to change is we need to have a much greater focus on property crimes. And the what, because property crimes have a 20% higher recidivism rate than violent crimes. And a lot of that has to do with the slap on the wrist penalties that we usually see associated with these property crimes. By having a more efficient system, like I've discussed, we can devote more resources and effort to a lot of these crime categories that oftentimes go overlooked because our stretched out manpower is being focused on some of the, the big ticket items, so to speak, some of the more violent offenses. So I guess lastly to this point, I am going to create an initiative on day one. I'm calling it Stop Memphis, Save DeSoto. Every single time that we get a new case brought into the, into the office, it takes less than a minute to figure out, did this offender have a Memphis address or a Memphis arrest record? If they do, we have to start seeking the harshest penalties possible because criminals all speak to each other. The word will get back to Memphis very, very quickly that DeSoto County is not a playground for their criminal enterprises. And I think it's okay to single people out that they come from outside of our county to our communities to commit crimes. So I am going to single them out, and we will certainly draw a line in the sand between us and Memphis and start pushing back. We've already given up way too much ground in South Haven and parts of Olive Branch, and we got to push back. So we're almost about 
40 or so days out from from the Republican primary in August. Yeah, it's coming up quick. You're going to have thousands of voters headed to the polls. They're going to have to bubble in a name, uh, either for yourself or your opponent. What's the most important thing they should know when they go to cast their vote? I talk to a lot of people, and, and I ask them that same question. I get a lot of different answers. So I don't know that there's necessarily one most important thing. But I would say that when you're considering who you want— you have to consider, okay, who has the best plan for the office moving forward? And I do believe I have a great plan. I would invite everybody to go to my website. It's bartonfordesoto.com. I've outlined a lot of my values and agenda items on there. And you can see for yourself if you like my plan. You can reach out to me through the website, social media, and if, if you ask, I'll give you my cell phone number. I am very accessible, and I want to answer your questions. So reach out to me about what's important to you and I'll certainly answer you and, and we can engage in any kind of conversation you want. I would also mention that we want someone that shares our values. It's very important, especially in a conservative community like ours. And I believe that I have a proven record for being a conservative, the way I vote, uh, the way I conduct my business, uh, the way I live my life. It's very conservative and I believe that that's what it's going to take in this office. We need to have local leaders. And so I think when people look at the plan I have, they start looking to see you know, what my values are versus what my opponent's values are. They really dive into it. I'd like to think that I represent what Soto County is about. Just a political question here, uh, Matthew. So one of the critiques I've heard about, about your campaign is some of the negative, uh, I think maybe some would assume negative attacks you've put out against your opponent. What, what are your thoughts on those? Are you, are you comfortable what your campaign's done? I'm very comfortable, and I'll tell you why. I do think there is a difference between being personally negative and attacking someone's sure. character okay. and giving a comparison. I think that my opponent and I are both fantastic lawyers. We're both fantastic people. We have great families. I've never said anything negative about him or his family, but I will talk about the differences that we have. And the differences are pretty clear. So I, I think that making a comparison, a factual comparison, that's documented by actual proof. There are receipts and public records to support everything that my campaign has put out. When I talk about voting records, when I talk about donation histories, there's receipts for all of it. It's all documented. Now, sometimes the truth hurts and people get off put by that. But, you know, I think we live in a time where people demand to know the truth about their candidates they want to know what people are really about. And I think they're sick and tired of people moving to an area just to run for office, switching political jerseys, and just expecting no one to notice. The fact is, I'm the only person that lived in this community before the race started. I'm the only person that has never voted for a Democrat, never donated to Democrats. I am the Republican option. And I think it's fair to say that. Shifting off politics, um, you know, certainly outside of the political world, right? And talking about, you know, family life and all those sort of things. You know, when you're done with your nine to five, well, in the attorney world, it's never really truly a nine to five, right? It's nonstop, twenty four seven. But what do you what do you enjoy doing? What do you, you and your family you enjoy still play doing? soccer? Some, you know, honestly, it's been a little while since I I played soccer. Uh, what I, position I, did you play? And so, growing up, I I mostly played center midfield. Okay. Uh, in college, I played more of a defensive midfielder, okay. kind of defensive type position. Currently, um, 
I play bass guitar in a band, so okay. You I, play you play bass too. Yeah, so so our band, well, our producer Derek is also a bass player, so I do that a good bit. You know, I I really just look for any free time I can to spend with my kid and, and my wife. We we like to take long weekends. Now, what is she still? She still a teacher? She still in the school system? Or we've been blessed since she. Uh, since she had Eleanor, that, that she's been able to stay home. Oh, you're going to make my wife jealous. So, you know, Eleanor's getting ready to to start uh, the, I guess, the pre-K at Hernando Methodist, okay. so where it'll actually be every day. So I think Megan will probably start doing a little bit more in terms of going back to work because she, she likes what she did working with the kids. But I got a kindergartner starting next year. So. But then, honestly, when you think about soccer, uh, being a midfielder is kind of like being an attorney. Like, you can press real hard offensively or you can play further back, and, like, you always have to kind of be, be fluid and ready to, to, you know, jump back and be ready for the counter. So it is uh, – maybe that was maybe that was some uh, foreshadowing for what you were going to do later on in life. I think that's a good point, you know, because in my professional career, I have played offense and defense. I've, I've prosecuted and I defended. I have a good playbook for both sides, and I think that makes a big difference. In soccer, it was the same way. You got to be on both sides of the ball, and it makes right. a big difference. Got to be in good shape, play midfield too. That's it. This is your premier Hernando soccer podcast. Right. Officially, <laughs> get politics, you get soccer, you get all the good stuff. Well, uh, right. Matthew, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, Matthew, is anything you want to add? We always kind of oh, let you yeah. with the last word. Uh, last word, if you have anything you want to add. No, I just really enjoyed uh, meeting with you guys. Appreciate yes. being included, and uh, we appreciate your willingness to come on uh, and state your your reason to be supported by the voters for district attorney of I guess District Twenty Three. So that's right, and you know you're not you're not going to learn everything you want to learn in in one interview or uh, a few minutes. So did yeah, you plug you, you plugged your website, didn't you? Yeah, I was going to plug it one more time though. Barton Ford DeSoto, reach out to me through there. I'll be happy to address any questions. I'll engage anybody in anything you want to talk about. All right. That was Matthew Barton, Republican candidate for district attorney here in the 23rd uh, district. DeSoto County voters out there, you've heard from both of the candidates. Uh, you'll have to make a choice when the Republican primary comes up. And uh, you know, we always encourage people to vote. That's one of the uh, one of the rights that we have as Americans, and, and it needs to be exercised every time you get a chance. So certainly get out and vote. Well, that's all we have on this episode of the Boardroom Podcast. I'm Ben Piper. I'm Chad Wicker. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for an episode of the Boardroom Podcast, presented by People for a Better DeSoto County. I hope we were able to inform you and give you some additional insight on how your local government works. Stay engaged. Local government is the closest to the people. Ah!